morning, church. I'm thankful to have people like Jonathan who will pray for people like me and like Kelly and Dustin and Kevin who step into this weird spot. (laughs) It's not weird because it's just, it's awkward being human but proclaiming to speak claiming to speak the word of God. That's what I'm saying. Have I fumbled over my words enough? Okay. If you've been around for a few weeks, you know that we've been in the middle of a series uh, called Intersections, where uh, I think the elders and Kelly worked out kind of a list of things that seem to be, uh, you know, pressing issues before us, and and wanted to ask the question, you know, what is it that Jesus has to say about how these things intersect uh, our lives? You know, how how does, I mean, we covered a whole bunch of topics. So here's here's today, and uh, we're going to dive right into it. Because I am notorious for running long. Loneliness. We're going to talk about the intersection of loneliness and Jesus in our lives. It's probably something we've all likely experienced. We felt that discomfort, maybe even the pain, of being separated from other people. I'm not talking about solitude. Okay, so I want to get that kind of out of the way right off the bat. I'm not talking about solitude, which is purposeful. On the surface, solitude and loneliness look very much the same. We're apart from other people, right? You're separate. But the key difference is that we choose solitude to separate for a time, for a purpose, maybe to reflect, gain perspective, recharge, to have some peace and quiet. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons we seek out solitude. But loneliness, by contrast, is when we feel, uh, or is the way we feel, it's what we feel when we're isolated and separated or cut off from other people. It's something that's happened to us. We feel very acutely kind of our lack of connection to our communication with other people, whether we're alone or in a crowd. I think most of us would say that loneliness is a painful emotion. Loneliness is... Let's see if we can feel this. Uh, Let's see if this can hit us in the feels a little bit. Loneliness is being up late and alone due to procrastination. It's that feeling of staying in your dorm room to crank out a paper you've put off all semester while your family and your friends go out on homecoming weekend, hypothetically. Loneliness is that feeling of staying up late at your desk, hunkered over that paper that you've put off writing as everyone else turns off their lights and they drift off to sleep, hypothetically. It's that feeling of missing out on your own graduation weekend celebrations because there's that paper or two that you've still put off writing. Maybe you've felt this kind of loneliness before. Or loneliness is it's being picked last, picked over, or maybe not being picked at all. You know, it's that feeling of being the new kid at school with new classmates, being at your first recess and getting picked last for the soccer team. Only after the unlucky captain realizes there's nobody left to pick. Or loneliness is that feeling when your best school friend decides that he'd rather hang out with another kid in the class, another kid that you really don't get along with, and your best friend completely ignores you for the year. Hypothetically. Or it's that feeling of going through yet another breakup. Finding yourself single yet again. Wondering why you just can't find the one. Actually, at this point, anyone. And just have somewhere to go for the holidays and somewhere or somebody to go there with. 
Maybe you've felt this kind of loneliness before. Loneliness is being at the mercy of life events way beyond your control. It's that feeling of foster kids who have no sense of belonging anywhere, getting bounced around from home to home to home, knowing that somebody let them go long ago. Loneliness, that feeling of losing a parent to death or to divorce or to yet another business trip. Loneliness, that feeling of losing great friends to another city due to a promotion or a demotion or some other reason that really doesn't take the sting away. You know what loneliness is. You know what loneliness is because you've experienced it. Being isolated and vulnerable and alone, wanting to talk and be heard, to be known and understood, to be included, to be cared about. That's what you want. You're wanting but not getting any of those things. It's loneliness. It's painful. It's painful because we're wired for community. We're wired for wanting to be with each other. So what in the world does Jesus have to say about that? Okay, it's no surprise that we're hardwired for community, and this is the first thing today. It's no surprise because we are stamped with the image of God. We're imprinted with uh, God-likeness. And God is three in one, right? God is community. And so let's take a look if this works. Oh, there we go. Genesis 1. You go ahead and open there. We're going to spend a little time here. We're going to spend a lot of time in the New Testament. But if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 1. We've got to go right to the beginning. When God created humankind, he created us in his image. Genesis 1, as I'm sure you're familiar, has this uh, beautiful, rhythmic, speaking, creating, evaluating kind of cycle. Right? God says, and something happens, and then when it's all over, he says, that's good. Well, we get to verse 26. And this is in the middle of day six. On day six, after God's created all the other ground-dwelling creatures and they're roaming around, God says this. This is picking up in verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the, uh, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so a couple things jump out at me right away. And the first is this. God speaks in the plural. Notice that God doesn't say, now I will make mankind in my image, in my likeness. What does he say? Let, let us, let us make mankind in our image. Okay, it's possible it is possible this is just a feature of language to show reverence and respect and deference to God, a, you know, a royal we kind of thing. That's possible, but I don't think so. Especially in the light of the New Testament where we're going to get to eventually here. I think this is an indication right from the opening chapters of the Bible uh, about who God is. And that is God is community. And that God-likeness, some piece of it, he stamps on humanity as he creates us. Here's the second thing that jumps out at me, is that when God creates something in his image, he actually creates two things, male and female. Isn't that interesting that God does not create one thing stamped with his image, 
but two things that are stamped with his image. God's image is not born in just one or the other, in just Adam or just Eve, but in both of them. If they're not taken together, we don't get God. To reflect God's image or God's likeness, it requires community. Interestingly, at least in my reading of the text, no other creatures in Genesis 1 are said to be made in the image of God. And so we could spend a whole bunch more time right now pondering, you know, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be stamped with the image of God when the rest of creation, you know, certainly has his fingerprints sometimes we say all over it, certainly had, but they're not, they don't bear the image of God. We could spend a lot more time pondering that, but for now I just want to settle on this. God is by nature community. God is an us and an our. And so we too are wired for community because we've been stamped with that. Now we're going to jump to the New Testament. So when we see Jesus, who is the exact representation of God's being, according to one author in the New Testament, when Jesus arrives, we see even more clearly the kind of community that exists between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You are welcome to jump to uh, or turn to John chapter 14, but it's actually going to be John 14, 15, 16, and 17. So out of the goodness of my heart, I've actually put all these texts on the screen because we're going to be jumping around just a little bit. But let me, let me just set the stage a little bit for you, okay? As Jesus teaches and communes with his disciples between the Last Supper and his arrest, we're privileged to glimpse holy community in those teachings. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they love one another deeply. They respect one another deeply. They seek to serve the other and bring glory to the other. Uh, deeply. So listen to some of these words of Jesus. I was having issues with uh, this particular presenter program, so sorry if you need your binoculars for this. Here's what it says. This is out of John 14, verse 10 and 11. These are Jesus' words again. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me, when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Interesting. Do you hear it? Do you hear the community? I, just, I want you to start to get a feel for the nature of the community that is God. Verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice Jesus is not out for his own glory. He's out for the glory of the Father. But he recognizes that the Father doesn't do that on his own. Or verse 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice how connected they are, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Or verses 30 and 31. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that, and this is the key part here, the world may learn that I love the Father, that I love the Father, and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Or again in chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Are you getting a glimpse of what this community looks like? Who God actually is? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit work in perfect concert together. They love each other deeply. They do each other's work. They're in sync together. It's the Father and the Son who are going to send the Spirit. But the Spirit wants to be sent. Wants to do the will of God. They want to do their will and make it happen. And They're working together and they don't do it with any sense of pride or trying to lord it over the other. Jesus did some pretty amazing things here, and we don't know any better and are easily duped. And he could have just been like, I'm awesome, just in and of myself, me, I'm awesome. And he wouldn't have been lying, but Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus makes sure that his disciples know, I don't do anything unless the Father is doing it through me. I do the Father's work. We're doing this together. And the work that we're going to do sometime later is to send the Spirit so the Spirit can keep doing through you the work that he's doing through me. It's, it's an intimate community. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, Jesus says, for my Father is with me. And the last one that I want to read is part of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Says, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Again, you hear the Father and the Son working in concert here, working together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, show us the community that we were imprinted with. And that we long to be a part of. We long to be part of an intimate, mutually loving, profoundly respectful, intertwined with the same person, uh, purpose, selfless kind of community. There's no political games in the Godhead. Right? There's no trying to make a name for oneself. There's no undercutting the other person for personal gain. There's no backbiting here. Only selfless and self-giving love. Lucia, I know it's hard to track with some of this stuff, but I think it's really key for us to get an idea of who God is. God who is by nature loving and selfless community. These are the hallmarks. There's all kinds of communities in the world, right? I mean, you go to be part of your local business club. Yeah, you're there maybe to support local business, but really you're there to grow your business, right? You're there to make a name for yourself. There's, that doesn't exist in the Godhead. It's a different kind of community. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm, I'm trying to paint a small picture, an imperfect picture. God who made us male and female to be image bearers. God made us to be community bearers and we hunger for that. We hunger for that. And so it comes as a bit of a surprise then. That we feel lonely when we're surrounded even by other people. That that can happen. It comes as a bit of a shock. And how much more acutely do we feel that loneliness when those that surround us are the church, right? The community of God. It's one of the strange paradoxes I've encountered in my life that I can be surrounded by people and yet feel lonely and feel separated. I don't know if you've experienced this. 
Perhaps you have. Maybe you're in the midst of uh, wrangling a teenagerish family like I am. I say teenagerish because one's truly a teen and the other two are hot on his heels. Rushing one to school early for volleyball practice, you putter through the workday, you rush back to school to take another one to a volleyball game, rush back home to get supper on the table, and then you rush to bed so we can do it all over again, and finding that in the midst of all the rushing, you don't really know the kiddos that you wake up each morning, let alone the person you're waking up next to each morning. Surrounded by family, but feeling separated and lonely and disconnected. Felt that? Or perhaps you've been meeting with your life group, surrounded by people you know and that you love and that you know love you, but you're discussing some complex and touchy issues that have some pretty traditional pat answers, and you find yourself increasingly unsure of the party line, as it were. And you don't really know where you'll stand with your group if you actually voice your thoughts. And that pressure to conform and your feelings of separateness from the group, whether you offer a dissenting voice or not, is a pretty lonely place to be. You're surrounded by people you care for, that care for you, but you feel this loneliness. Not to mention being surrounded by Canadian church people when you don't necessarily speak or understand English very well. Because it's your second or third or fourth language, maybe. And it's hard to get in on the good relationships you see all around you because you don't have those long-standing family traditions when the long weekend rolls around. You don't have those summertime camping routines and people to do it with. It's a lonely place to be. And I'm ashamed to say that I've actually been part of the crowd that makes it hard to break in. That actually contributes to your feelings of loneliness, if that's you. Because I embody selfish and busy community. I've been that offender. When I was in college, got to know the uh, dean of students there pretty well. His name's Dwight Muller. Some of you probably know him. I would uh, count him among my best friends, kind of one of those lifelong. And we, we hung out a ton uh, when I was in college. And I had a, uh, not a roommate necessarily, but a, uh, a dorm mate, I guess. Was he a roommate? No, just a dorm mate. So a dorm mate. And uh, again, we, we rubbed shoulders, you know, in class. We hung out and played sports. We were in the dorm. Um, and I remember him saying one time, he's like, you know, it's really great, this thing that you've got going with Dwight. I just wish you'd share it. What's worse is that even after that, I didn't really make an effort because I was selfish. It's not the kind of community that I think... God's after. So here's just, I don't know if this is an interlude or what. So here's what I want to say about that. Is that we're dealing with a community of recovering sinners. Yes, we've been imprinted with the image of God, which comes out in one way as a desire for community, but we're also broken and chipped by sin, which makes us a bit pointy at times. Which means it's not really a question of if you'll be offended or find yourself lonely in this community here. I'm talking about Calgary Church of Christ folks. Those of you who, it's not a matter of if you're going to be offended or put out or feel lonely here. It's a matter of when. 
We are a community of recovering sinners called by the loving Father, bought and covered by the precious blood of Jesus, and we're being gently restored by the Holy Spirit. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when you're going to find yourself being lonely. And so here's the, here's the pivot. When you find yourself in that offended and lonely place, remember that God's heart is for the lonely. God's heart is for the lonely. God, who is by very nature loving community, is also, is also a seeking and inviting community. There's a sense in which God the Father, Son, and Spirit model this perfect community, but they don't hang on to it the way that I greedily hung on to mine. They're a seeking and inviting community that go out. I mean, we see that very clearly. Jesus showed up. God sent Jesus the Son to actually be here and walk among us. That's huge. That's huge. And then when Jesus goes, he sends the Spirit, right? We're going to see some of that. But for now, let's, I want us to just see one other picture of Jesus. It's so clearly of this sending, this heart for the lonely, who touches the untouchable leper, who calls the traitorous tax collectors to his inner circle, whose heart goes out to the widow who's lost her only son. This is the kind of Lord, and this is the kind of community that God embodies. Let's go to Mark 5. Mark 5, verses 24 to 34. And again, I just just want you to catch this picture of who God is, what kind of community God embodies. So here's an example of Jesus. Pick it up in verse 24. It says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. I guess halfway through 24, if you uh, want to be specific. Verse 25, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. In a crowd, she's been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You want to talk about feeling lonely. Here's someone just questing, spending everything to not be unclean anymore. Blood makes you unclean. So if you've been bleeding for 12 years, for 12 years you've been excluded from the community. You're in the middle of the crowd, but you don't belong. She's lonely. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I think that's an act of like massive grace on God's part. Just the fact that she is trying to slink through the shadows and in the hustle bustle of the crowd, just get her stuff dealt with so she can take off again. And God says, you know what? Yeah, we're going to heal her. She believes she's going to touch. We're going to heal her. But watch what happens next. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around. He kept seeking. He kept looking. He kept searching to see who had done it. Then, he, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, she thinks she's stolen something here. You want to talk about feeling lonely. Jesus, and she tells him the whole truth, and he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. If that doesn't tell you something about the heart of God and what kind of community God is, I don't know what does. Here's a few more out of John chapters 14 to 17. 
If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, Jesus says, and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. He wants us to be with him. Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Or again, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you hear this desire, this beating heart of God that says, it's not enough for me to have great community. I want to share that and I want to invite you into it. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm just going to leave it on that slide for now. There's a couple more that we could look at. But I just want you to hear this. God the Father, with the Son and the Spirit, invites us to join. Longs for us to join their loving and love-giving community. Okay, Is that fairly clear? All right. So loneliness, therefore, even though it's part of our life, doesn't need to define us. Loneliness, yes, we're going to experience loneliness, but we can join God's loving and love-giving community. That is a door that is wide open to all of us. So how do we do that? Here's a couple, couple thoughts. First of all, God chose you, God wants you, so nurture that relationship. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit and what I was going to say, and it was going to go something like, you should read your Bible and you should pray. And that is 100% true. And then there was a voice in uh, somewhere up here that said, but Mike, isn't just reading about God in the Bible um, not really the same as knowing God? And so the other part of my brain that had the first thought said, well, Mike, that's an interesting thought. Let me ponder that for a moment. And here's what I came to. When I decided, um, or sorry, uh, Before I decided that I wanted to pursue a relationship with Trina, I spent some time learning about her and watching her from afar because I was a chicken. And as I watched and as I learned, it created in me a desire to want to get to know her more. And here we are today. I think there's some parallels with Scripture that we read these stories about Jesus interacting with a bleeding woman in the midst of this crowd. And we go, man, that's incredible. I've got some bleeding things in my life. I want that. Or we read about the intimacy between Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, and we think, that is so unlike the family that I'm a part of. That is so unlike the workplace that I'm a part of. That is so un. I want that. And as it creates that hunger in you, you get an opportunity to actually know God, which is why we pray. Secondly, I would say this. Pay attention to your story within that bigger story. The bigger story being the story of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But we also need to pay attention to our stories. I'm talking about real practical things that I've had the privilege of doing kind of along 
chipped away in my life, you know, personality quizzes. It's just literally paying attention to who are you? How do you react in certain circumstances? How do you react with people? I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, we are broken and chipped by sin, which makes us pointy sometimes. Um, I've got a few flaws, and I recognize that. You might have some habits. Pay attention to those things and do it with good friends. Uh, Let them feed back to you some things to say, look, here's some places that maybe if you're feeling lonely, you're driving people away. Maybe don't act that way if you want to have friends, okay? Those kind of conversations. I also want to say this within that bigger story. Remember one of the things that Jesus talked about sending the Spirit, the Advocate and the Comforter. It can give us insight into our community habits. And so as we spend time in the Bible, we spend time in prayer, as we pay attention to our story within that bigger story, um, I think there's opportunity for us to just have things brought to our mind. We go, okay, yeah, maybe I need to own a piece of this, and I'll do what I can do. The last thing I'm going to say is stay at the party, which is another way to say be a friend like Jesus. Notice he didn't run away. He didn't run away from the bleeding woman. He didn't run away from the leper. He ran to them doesn't run away from the demon-possessed man. He goes to them. It's fascinating. Stay at the party. Let God write God's story through you. The story that God started writing in Jesus continues to write in the Holy Spirit. Let him do that through you. Join in that part of it. Be quick to forgive. Be service-oriented. Be open, inviting, and wanting others to have the same good that you do. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole story, but uh, Kat Benakis was a, is, I should say, a uh, bivocational Episcopalian priest slash fundraiser. Bivocational, meaning can't earn all the money doing one job or the other, so it does them both. Uh, she went to Yale, found herself way out of her league, went to divinity school, cranked through that, has built community all the way along uh, Well, uh, kind of doing board games. That was her thing. But apparently, she can be in the middle of a crowd and just has some triggers that she's realized, has some triggers that just set her off in terms of feeling lonely. And here's how she describes it. She says this, the common denominator is that I'm someplace where I expect to be having a great time with great people I know. Then I'll make a joke that flops, or I'll suggest an activity no one else wants to do, or I'll try to launch a church initiative, or the conversation will move in a direction I can't track with. And a plexiglass wall descends between me and the people I was just talking to. It is the absolute worst, most condemning version of loneliness I know. It makes me feel like a fraudulent Christian, since Christianity, after all, is grounded in community. And she identifies very much with Jesus in John's gospel, who seems to be just, he's trying to connect with his disciples, and they don't get it, and there's like this wall there. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate. I'm going to send this one to remind you all the things that I've said. And so Kat says this as she reflects on Jesus and this big story. When I am among people yet at my absolute loneliness, if I can ward off the instinct to consume an entire platter of appetizers and thereby drown my woes in a self-induced carb quaalude fog. It's a dense statement. You've got to unpack it. Sometimes I can hear a voice that sounds something like mine, but warmer, saying, I know you're sad. I know you're scared. 
there was a before, there will be an after. Just stay at the party. And for Kat, that has become the voice of the Holy Spirit. She's chosen to recognize that as the advocate, saying, be part of my community. So this is the reminder. God chose you. God wants you. You're part of a bigger story. So stay at the party.